You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 663. It doesn't matter when you start. It doesn't matter where you start. All that matters is that we start. Simon Sinek. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Have you ever wanted to learn from a Hollywood blockbuster screenwriter or even an Oscar winner? Well, I wanted to put together a free three-day screenwriting video series taught by legendary screenwriters, David Goyer, from who wrote The Dark Knight, Nia Valdouris, who wrote The Big Fat Greek Wedding, Oscar-winning Callie Corey, who wrote Thelma and Louise, and Oscar winner Paul Haggis, who wrote Casino Royale. If you want access to this free class, head over to bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash free. Today's show is also sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films, from predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them. The odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Today's guest is Danny Manis. Now, Danny is a Hollywood development executive and has been working in the business for many, many years, working with huge companies and has taken over 3,000 pitches and is now focusing his life on helping screenwriters pitch and be able to get their projects seen by executives, by the studio system. And he's coming at it from a very unique perspective because he was on the other side of that desk for many, many years. So his experience is pretty priceless. That's why I wanted to have him on the show. And today in this episode, we really go deep into the weeds on what executives want, how to pitch properly, the do's, the don'ts, and so on. And Danny's been able to parlay his career as a development executive in Hollywood to become an in-demand script consultant and the founder of No Bullscript Consulting. So he is definitely someone you guys should be listening to. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Danny Manis. I'd like to welcome to the show Danny Manis. Thank you so much for being on the show, brother. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Awesome, man. Awesome. So before we get into it, I want to know how you got into the business. You know, it was uh, it, kind of a boring story, but I'll make it fun. Okay. Um, I uh, I interned for a semester. I went to Ithaca College uh, in New York. Uh, they had a semester in LA program, which is half of the reason I went there. And um, so I interned at Columbia TriStar in TV development and at uh, Fox in feature casting. 
and I just I loved it. I loved everything about LA. I loved everything about the business. Uh, I was studying screenwriting. I came out here to write uh, just after graduation. I, you know, I had two big studio internships under my belt. I thought, oh, I'll get a job, no problem. Um, and I stupidly, which I kick myself for, one of the mistakes, um, one of the many mistakes I've made. You know, I didn't go into like the agency trainee program or something like that, right. which I feel like I probably should have. And I, I tell people to do if they're moving out here young and hungry. But, um, you know, I looked for a assistant job. And I, you know, off the UTA job list when that used to be a thing, you know, that you could really use. Um, and I, uh, I got a job as the assistant at Sandstorm Films. They had a first look deal with Sony Screen Gems. They had just had a number one movie with them with um, The Forsaken, which was both their and Screen Gems' first number one movie. So they were very happy with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I was their assistant for about a year, uh, and I was an awful <laughs> assistant. <laughs> um, but you know, it was just like everybody else at that time uh, in the early two thousands. You right. know, you interned, you were an assistant, you did your job, and if you were good at your job, you got promoted. And if you weren't good at your job, you floated around as an assistant for a little longer. Um, thankfully, I was useless as an assistant, but I gave great notes. And so they kept me. Uh, I had good ideas and I gave great notes. And so they promoted me and we found a new assistant um, to help. But it was, you know, it was a small production company. I had, uh, it was four, three heads, one person who was above me um, and me. Um and, uh, and then when we brought in the assistant, it was one more. But we did a lot of movies. Uh, we did, I think, in the three years I was there, we did seven films. That's a lot. Which is, which is a lot. Um, and uh, most of them for uh, Screen Gems. Uh, we did The Covenant, which was a number one movie. Yeah. Uh, we did the remake of uh, Prom Night, which was a number one movie. Yeah. Um, and we did a lot of movies that were not number one movies uh, <laughs> back when you could make like straight to DVD movies and still make a lot of money. Right. So we did a lot of those too. And um, yeah, and, and I just kind of, I love development. I really like that world. Um, I came out to write like most development executives <laughs> um, and Joe Cardone, J.S. Cardone, who was our principal, uh, who's a writer director. He's done 30, 40 films. Um, you know, he took me under his wing along with a couple of other writers that we were managing mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and uh, you know, that we worked with a lot. And so we kind of called ourselves their managers. We'd put them on projects uh, and they got paid. I mean, they were working writers getting paid and getting movies made. So um uh, you know, and he kind of took us all under his wing for a while, and, and it was really nice to have that person, you know, shepherding your uh, your career. And then uh, Sandstorm ended, uh, and I went over to Clifford Werber Productions, who had just done Cinderella Story, mm-hmm. uh, which was a, you know, $120 million grossing teen movie. Um, and I love teen movies. And, and so I started there and was there for uh, another few years. And uh, I still work with Clifford. He's a great guy. Uh, and then during the writer strike, that ended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, we, we had things in, you know, uh, that I had sold during the writer strike. And, and it was still going and still going and still going. It was going at United Artists, which was... 
at the time, not to get too far into it, at the time it was like right after Tom Cruise did the jumping on the couch thing, right. and everyone was like, he's never going to work again. And so he's like, I'm going to get into producing and really give my all into producing. And so he loved the project that I had sold to UA and things were going and we were meeting with directors and we had a rewriter on and all this great stuff. And then all of a sudden Tropic Thunder came out. And everybody was like, oh, wait, we still love Tom Cruise. Let's find another project for him. And then, like, everything got put on the back burner that was not Mission Impossible. And right. we got put to turn around and blah, blah, blah. And that's, and that's Hollywood, folks. <laughs> um, but the break-in story was honestly just uh, like everyone else's. Interned, was an assistant, worked my way up to their director of development at Sandstorm and then went over to Clifford's as their director of development, um, you know, got some things going and then uh, um, and decided, uh, half decided, half writer strike uh, because there was kind of a hiring freeze. Kind for, of. <laughs> um, for like a year. Um, I went on a lot of interviews. I did a short stint at Eclectic Pictures. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. For a lovely summer, um, for a long, for a long summer, and and while I was doing that and working, you know, two other jobs, uh, and trying to get my own stuff, uh, you know, projects I had already been attached to or that I was finding as a producer as I was getting that going, uh, I started Noble Script and started consulting. And uh, and it took off. And so instead of looking for more exec jobs, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be my own boss for a little while and see what I can do and see what I can make of it. Good for you. So so you basically you're you're you made your bones as a development executive, basically. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, because I love to hear perspectives of development executives, someone who's been in the trenches, seeing these scripts come in. I'm sure you've read a couple scripts in your day. One um, or two, yeah. And you've heard a couple pitches in your day. So, uh, yes. So the, about, about 3,600 30, current count. Well, 3,600 or so. So, yeah. is that in dog years or just normal counting? That is, it makes <laughs> me feel like I'm living in dog years, but uh, yes, those are actual... S- all right. Pitches. <laughs> so let me ask you, what is the worst pitch you ever took as a um, development executive? Because there has to be one <laughs> that stands out. There is. I mean, the worst, worst pitchers are not the ones given by the professional writers who come mm-hmm. in for regular pitch meetings. I've had pitches that aren't so great, but the ones that you talk about. <laughs> like the ones that you would be on a podcast and someone would ask you what's the worst and the one that you would say, that's the one we're talking about. The one you might put in your book and, and <laughs> of what not to do, of what um, not to do. Yes. Uh, uh, they come from the pitch fests and the, you know, the out of the box kind of pitching things and the, uh, and, and events like that. Um, the best one, the best one, the best one I used to tell, um, I was still at Clifford's. I don't remember what event it was, but it was here in Los Angeles. And um, and it was about a year or two after Garden State had mm-hmm. come out. Yeah. And um, 
And so I had this guy and he, he sat down and he's like, you know, I have kind of an indie uh, dramedy, kind of like Garden State about this guy who, um, you know, he's high and mighty, high and powerful, but he goes back to his hometown, which is being like uh, his beachfront, you know, property, which is being taken over by evil developers or something. And, you know, he really hasn't connected with his home in a decade uh, or with his family, and he's taking a stroll down the beach to just kind of, you know, get back into the feel of his hometown, and a huge wave comes up and washes ashore, and it washes this great big seal up onto the shore that knocks him over, and the seal rapes him. <laughs> so for everyone, for everyone not seeing this on the video podcast version of this, Danny's face is dead straight. It's a complete deadpan <laughs> delivery. It was, was brilliant. It was just a brilliant <laughs> delivery. Oh, how he did it. It was just like, and the ra- <laughs> the seal rapes him. It just stood there stone-faced. It was br- uh, Wow. I, I practiced that one. Wow. I have, uh, wow. In, in my former life, I was Jonah Hill. I got um, you. I can't believe – that's a real thing? Seriously? Uh, yeah, that was a good one. I mean, I've had a couple <laughs> of incest ones. Um, which was, and these people like, are completely, these screenwriters are completely straight. straight. Totally serious. It was in Portland at an event I go to every year. It's a wonderful event. Um, so nothing against the event. This was just this guy. Now keep in mind, my company at the time at Clifford's, we did Cinderella story. Yeah. We did Sydney white. We were doing teen coming of age, sure. you know, sweet comedies. And this was right after Brokeback Mountain came out, the year after. And the guy, you know, even he he wasn't even sitting pitching to me. He stopped me in the hallway because he couldn't get a session. And he was like, I think this is really for you. I couldn't get a session. I couldn't sign up, but I really want to tell you about it. I was like, sure, tell me about it. He's like, it's a coming-of-age love story between a dad and a daughter. And I gave him three outs. I went – like a, like a father, a stepfather, and a stepdaughter, and he was like, "No, no." And I was like, "Like two older people who didn't know until they were in their like forties and sixties that they were related, and they didn't know." He was like, "No, no," and I was like, "Like, like two people who didn't know that they were related and then came together." He was like, "No, no," like a father and his sixteen-year-old daughter. Oh, and I went, "You're, you're just straight pitching me." An incest. incest. <laughs> he made Cinderella story. He was like, I really think uh, the best part was like, I've posted parts of it online and it's gotten a great reaction. <laughs> From where incestrus.org? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I was like, you know, I think that might be a pass. It's a hard, gonna, it's not a soft pass, it's a hard pass. I'm think about it, but for now, I'm going to pass. Um, oh thank you God. though. No, I'm, I'm good without the handshake. I I'm love that, but I love that you gave them out and you were like, and actually your stories were more interesting. I'll be like, okay, that's, yeah. that, those are like more interesting concepts than just straight up incest. Yeah. I, I've had a few of those. I mean, I've had butthead police, you know, where people come in, uh, with gimmicks, I used to talk about, you know, don't bring any gimmicks to your Oh, like yeah, like like a stripper will show up or they'll bring props. Show up costumes and props and I had a guy with uh literally a foam butt on his head. I, I, you know, and I I mean it 
to be fair, at least it tied into the concept. I mean, it wasn't like a random prop. Was this like but Super Buttman or something? Was it? It was. It was but. Uh, it was Butthead Police. Oh, it Jesus was Christ. it was an animated show, so you give it a little bit of leeway, you know. But you realize you realize that for five minutes, you're literally pitching to an asshole. Wow. I mean, like there's there's one staring at you on his head as he's pitching, and all you can do is, is stare at his butthole. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, wow! Yeah. I mean, why haven't you I written a book? I had a guy fall asleep in a pitch, which was amazing. No. And yeah, that that was a really good one. Now, in his defense, it was – Does at, he have uh, a condition or is it – No, the condition was – it was like 4.30. It was one of the last sessions. It was eight hours of pitching. Everybody was exhausted. Oh. And But if – if your own pitch puts you to sleep, like just think about what it's doing to us. Um, and if I didn't have my friend assist me that day and sitting next to me, I mean, he nodded off for like four seconds, you That's know, but you could tell, like you could tell he was like telling the stories, like it's a road trip about, you know, two girls and they, you know, and they got to go save their, um, <laughs> what? And in those four seconds, I look over to my friend like, is he is he sleeping? Sleeping? I was actually what? that reminds me. I was actually doing a a, a, a consult once, and I was at a, a Starbucks, and I had this film screenwriter in front of me. And we were talking, and he literally, God bless him, he, he just had a rough night because he had kids and everything. And while we were talking, he would just like just. Yeah, just like like completely go out while I'm talking, and he and, and you know that feeling when you're so exhausted that you're you trying to keep your eyes open, yeah, but you can't. Yeah. That's what I was for thirty minutes. I felt so. I'm like, dude, do you do you just want to go home? Like, yeah, oh, if I could, man, I I can't sleep. I haven't slept all night. <laughs> That's uh. Don't have kids, writers. Don't have kids. <laughs> so okay, yeah, so no, that's the worst of the bunch. Which are amazing, by the way. Some of the, I have not laughed so hard in this in this show ever. So I appreciate that. Um, for people watching the video version of this, you will see me lose my crap. It is hilarious. <laughs> I can't I can't believe some of the those stories. Yeah. Now, what is the best pitch you ever heard? One that you said, "Wow, this guy just knocked this girl just knocked it out of the park." You know, I had a couple of um, I had a pitching team that really had their stuff down. I will be honest, I don't remember the story, but I remembered them, and I, I didn't really like the story. I, I just liked how they pitched. They, they felt very sure of themselves. They had it down so they weren't talking over each other. They knew what you know what beats to press and who was going to say them and in what order. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they felt rehearsed. They didn't feel amateurish. Mm -hmm. um, they were tight. They were tight. Yeah, it was a tight pitch. It wasn't five minutes of rambling because um, you don't need five minutes to pitch your story. You need three tops. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, they, they just had it down. And I mean, unfortunately, you don't remember the great ones. You really don't. I, I mean, you remember great pitch meetings and great people that you meet in pitch meetings. Right. Um, but you don't remember every story that's good, you know, or, or that's great. You just remember the really bad ones. You remember that, the incest. Do you remember the butt? You remember the ones that leave an impression. Yeah. 
remember the ones that you call your mom about and be like, guess what happened today? (laughs) Or you call your mom and go, I don't know why I'm doing this and why am I in this business? What's going on? I need to reevaluate. I'm making poor life choices. Uh, look, last last week was uh, was uh, two weeks ago was my 16 year anniversary in this uh, in this town and in this business, okay. and I still call her every other day and say the same goddamn thing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Just like I don't know why I'm here. I don't understand it. Did I do? Uh, you should have made me go to business school. <laughs> exactly. Like, why did you support my dreams? How could you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, what are some? Become a lawyer like all our other Jewish friends. <laughs> what were you doing? Um, now, can yeah. you can you uh, give some tips on how to do a good pitch? Like, what are some of the keys that you yeah. need to have to have a good pitch? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I've been teaching. Pitching is how I got into how I made the jump from executive to consultant, really, as I was speaking at a lot of these conferences across the country um, as a as an executive, still taking all the pitches at the pitch fest. And I just keep seeing those same mistakes made time after time after time. And so I wanted to teach that class, uh, which was called the No BS Guide to Pitching which eventually kind of led to no bull script. Great in name. Some Great name. Uh, I can't take full credit for it. I can only take half credit for it. Uh, my, my first web developer actually came up with it when she asked, what do you, you know, what do you want it to be about? I was like, I want it to really be my personality. And I teach a class called the no BS guide to pitching and the no BS guide to characters. And she was like, how about no bull script? And I went, Oh, that's it. (laughs) Trademark, trademark, Um, trademark. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, but I started uh, teaching that pitching class and over time it has changed a hundred percent. But for me, what I teach in pitching is the five C's and an H, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you have your short pitch and you only have two, three, five, ten minutes mm-hmm. um, to do your pitch. Uh, it's all about concentrating on the five C's. Um, the first one uh, being context, um, where actually the first one is concept. You know, what is, what is your idea? Uh, the second one is context, which is uh to me you it's the template movies you know it's in the vein of this and that it's setting up the tone and the genre um it's setting up the context of why you're the person to write it you know what is your connection to the story or character what is your connection or inspiration um you know, that's going to be somewhat anecdotal maybe, but something personal that's going to connect us to you so that we know why you're the writer that was supposed to write this story. Um, and, uh, you know, and as well as anything about you that we need to know, you know, that's going to make you stand out. If you've won prestigious contests, if you've been published or produced before, if you've been optioned before, things that are going to make you stand out against the pack. Mm. So the context to your project and the context to you. Um, next is character, who we are going to follow, why, and I always have my clients and writers say this is, why this character, why now? If you can't answer those two questions, you probably haven't figured out a strong enough character base to get your plot moving or to make us invest in that character's story. Um, 
you know, what do they have to achieve? What do they have to overcome? Who's against them? Uh, you know, what is their goal, but also what is their deeper, you know, like emotional need and want? Um, and, and just, and maybe a line of backstory. So we have some context to them, you know, what their baseline is. So we know once that inciting incident happens, like where their arc is going to take them. Um, so the basics, you know, half a dozen basics about your main character. Um, and, you know, I was a judge at, uh, Austin film festival. I, I taught their pitch prep, uh, class for their competition for a few years and was a judge for their pitching comp for a few years. And you only get 90 seconds mm -hmm. and it's a tight 90 seconds, but every single pitch, if, if writers spent 20 more seconds on character, their pitch would be 50% better. Um, cause that is what's going to hook somebody. Um, so that's character, uh, concept, context, character, conflict, what is the uh, especially external conflict that's going to drive the story? Um, we probably got a little bit of the internal conflict in the character section. Mm -hmm. um, and then the fifth uh, C is confidence and just going in there knowing that they want to hear from you. You have something to say, you know, and you are confident. You know your story backwards and forwards. You don't have to read off cue cards for three minutes. You know, like this is not your first time. And if it is your first time, you are faking it till you make it. So we don't know it's your first time. <laughs> yep. you know, just just go in there and, and own the table, own the room so that, you know, you're you're not cocky because we don't like cocky, but we do like confident in your story. Um, you know, be collaborative. You know, if someone has a note or someone makes a suggestion, don't be like, no. That's not how it goes. I wrote this. You know, be open, but be confident in, in yourself and your ability. And the H, which I tack on there, is hook. Because we really have to know, once we know your concept, what is the hook that's making your concept different? And taking it, you know, from a new angle, new, uh, you know, direction, new thing that we haven't heard before. And if you can nail the five C's and the H in a two, three, five, ten minute pitch, you will at least have the basis to bring somebody into that world and let them know, you know, what your story is about. Neither it's going to interest them or it's not. Excellent advice, sir. Excellent advice. And I'm assuming you go in much deeper detail on all of those in your lectures and courses and stuff. Yes, I do. <laughs> I do. I, um, yeah, there's, uh, there's tons. Yeah. <laughs> webinars on it there's, there's one on my site it does go much more uh in depth as well as logline i forgot in context is is where your logline would go as well okay i uh forgot to mention that now what is the biggest mistake you see first time screenwriters make um you know i get this question a lot and honestly the biggest mistake is rushing it rushing the process Submitting before they're ready, submitting before their scripts are ready, not doing their research, um, and just the the deadly combination of impatience, desperation, and ego. And <laughs> Horrible you, mix. If you get those trifecta, you are effed before you ever start. Yeah. It's It's never going to happen. Um, because this, this business takes four things. It takes, uh, 
luck. It takes timing. Um, it takes your soul. Uh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. It takes your uh, soul. No, it does take your soul. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it takes talent. It takes timing. It takes luck. And, um, and it takes, uh, there was one other, I always say, uh, talent, timing, luck, and persistence. Uh, well, that too. Uh, <laughs> and the right idea, yeah. uh, and the right idea. And if, you know, if the right writer doesn't have the right idea at the right time and have the right luck, it doesn't happen. Even if you have yeah. two or three out of those four, it's usually the fourth that becomes the X factor. Um, you know, there's, there's so many projects I've worked on or developed over the years that were just like two years before it's time, you know? Um, and if we had, if we had just waited another year, everybody wanted that thing, you know, or there were writers who had the greatest idea I've ever heard and it was the right time, but they weren't the right writer for that project, you know? And it's just when those four things, you know, the right idea, the right writer, the right time and the right luck all come together. That's when success happens. Um, but too many writers are trying to force it and their impatience and desperation will not only cost them sometimes tens of thousands of dollars, which, you know, as a consultant, I'm super weary of <clears throat> because, you know, let's face it, it's not a secret. Some people don't like consultants and there are some really shitty consultants out there who should not be charging, uh, for, for working with people. And, um, and they ruin it for everybody else. And the writers who are so desperate to get their first script out and made are the ones that are going to fall victim to that. And we hate seeing that happen. And so, you know, in executives, they can smell desperation a mile away. I was about it's to like say. bacon, you know, like you, <laughs> you, you, it's the one thing, uh, you know, I, I know a writer who's a good writer, prolific uh, writer. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Uh, hasn't quite broken through yet, but, um, uh, you know, but, but he got a reputation as being a little too desperate. And people don't want to work with desperate writers. They no. want to work with people that that feel like they're already professional writers. They just, you know, don't have the, you know, the jobs yet to prove it. But they feel like they are professional writers. Desperate. So, I mean, that really is the yeah, nobody wants to, you know, it's like a girl doesn't want to date a guy who's like so desperate or vice versa. It's yeah. the same in this business. And I remember being on both sides of that equation, me being the desperate yeah. one and then yeah. me being the one that's seeing that smells the desperation on people. And it's such a turnoff. You can have the best idea ever and it's such a turnoff. You know, to be fair, to be fair, I think I'm more desperate now than I was 15 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> I smelled it, sir. I smelled it on you, sir. I did. <laughs> yeah. You're just, you're just desperate for different things, you know, 15 years in, um, than, than you were when you, you know, when you're in your twenties, but, um, you just, you learn how to keep it under, you know. <laughs> You don't let the desperation bubble up in a conversation. <laughs> um, you just you learn to 
stamp it down. You hide it well, sir. You hide it well. (laughs) (laughs) Now, another big thing that screenwriters have to deal with, and we kind of touched on this earlier, but notes and how to deal with notes because that's such an issue, especially for, uh, you know, amateur writers or, or new writers. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've been there. I've been, I've done it myself early on in my career where you get a note from a producer or a director or an actor and, and you just get completely defensive over your baby. And it's like, no, I am the one. You are not. How dare you? Professionals don't do that. Professionals understand yeah. that there is a much bigger it, – it, it's show business. <laughs> yes. It, I always say you know, this is not – they don't call it an art colony. They call it show business. Um, however, I will say that I think professional writers get even more angry about notes depends on how, how depending on how big they are and how much experience they have yeah um but the thing is that a professional writer knows it's not about the note it's about the note behind the note and they know how to they know they know the code you know they figured out the code that execs use to give you the note they're trying to give you without saying you wrote a bad character you know, there, there's something else they're actually saying. Um, and professional writers have figured out how to decode that and how to address their note while still getting across what they want to get across. Or, you know, new writers are so scared of losing that deal that they're scared of asking the question like, well, what exactly do you mean by that? Or, you know, would you, th- you know, do you think this might be a good solve? They're just... You know, they just solve everything. You know, they just try to, uh, you know, if, if uh, an exec says, you know, the character is not that likable, you know, a new writer will go back to page two when they're introduced and say, you know, Bill, 35, likable. You know, like, <laughs> that's not that's not how you address that note. That's great. Um, that's great. But, but you know, a, a writer, you know, that's been doing this a while is going to go back and look at, OK, well, why isn't that character coming off as likable is, you know, is the goal that they have, uh, you know, not relatable is the, you know, are, are the stakes not high enough for us to be engaged? You know, is the dialogue not quippy enough to show off their personality and make us care? Like, what is the reason for that disconnect? You know, there's a there's a note behind that note that you have to find, um, you know, and, and and that's the real difference. And that just comes with experience and and time and the notes process. It's part of why I think new writers should get professional notes before they start submitting to producers because it lets you in on that process mm-hmm. and gives you someone to discuss those notes with so that you understand the note and can address the note and get options for the note before you're thrown into the lion's den and you're like, he doesn't like my characters. What What do I do? Do I make a new character? You know, And you freak out over a note that is probably easy to address if you know how to address it. Um, so, but you have to be collaborative. You have to be open to notes, even if it's the dumbest effing note you've ever heard in your life. And you will get that note. Mm-hmm. Um, your response in the room is, yeah, you know what? That's interesting. Let me think about that. And then you immediately do not think about it because it is the dumbest note you've ever gotten. But <laughs> you don't say that you play the game. 
a little bit and stay vague and you know and that's how you win but um, <laughs> it's but it's politics it's a game and that's what that's yes. what screenwriters and, and even filmmakers they don't understand when you're working in the Hollywood system there is so much subtext in meetings yeah. there's so much subtext in conversations mm-hmm. there's so many politics going on behind the scenes and the higher you get up on that ladder the harder it is like I can't even imagine what it was like for someone like Zack Schneider dealing with a, a franchise like Justice League and Superman and on Batman, like how, what you had to deal with at that level when yeah. you've got a bunch of scared executives who all yeah. think they're going to lose their jobs because this whole thing is coming crashing down and they got to bring in Joss Wheaton to do and, something and, for it. And by the way, every executive thinks they're about to lose their job. <laughs> at all times. At all you times. Know, at all times. And half of them will, you know. Um, but on, on the flip side of that, I will say, and I always stand up for execs because whenever I'm on a panel with writers or, you know, they're always hating on executives. You know, who are these people who just want to slap their names on my creation and feel like they're part of the writing process? And, you know, I call I call bullshit on that. And I do because the executive who's working with you on your rewrites, who you've pitched this to, who is pitching your idea to their boss, they're your biggest cheerleader in that room they are putting their name and reputation on the line for you and your idea so if they're making a suggestion it's not 95 percent of the time yeah there's five percent of douches who just want to take credit for stuff but 95 percent of the time it's because they know what their company or their boss is going to respond to or not respond to in a pitch or in a script and they want to help you make that good impression because your good impression is their good impression Mm -hmm. and your success is their success and so they have no reason to give you crappy notes on purpose um, unless you're a horrible person and they're trying <laughs> to get rid of you, but, which there is that there is that, I mean, there is that, and there's a tiny bit of that, but, but, you know, they are your cheerleader in the room. They are not there to destroy you or your project or turn it into something else. They are by and large, very creative people. And I will point out a, a, a sad, but not sad, but interesting fact that, there are more executives or former executives that have sold their scripts in the last five years than contest winners. Interesting. And so more execs, execs like me, we came out to write. We have a background in screenwriting. We do write, um, you know, and, and we're not there to screw people over. We're there to get stuff done and be part of the creative process and, and kind of guide you through that company's creative process or, or development process. But, you know, a lot of writers and the higher up they are, the more they feel this way. Um, they feel that the, you know, too many uh, execs are their enemy and they're, they're really truly not almost all of the time. That's, that's very true. Uh, do you also find, and I, and I think this is something extremely important for screenwriters, especially young screenwriters coming into the business to understand that, in Hollywood, Hollywood is run by fear and avoidance. Yeah. I mean, right? I know you. I know it's simple. Look, you and I both know that from being yeah. here. But the whole, the I'm whole scared shitless right now. 
<laughs> I live in constant state of fear all of my life. No, but but seriously though, like this, yeah. there. That's why there's so many no's because there's so much fear of like I'm going to lose my job. I can't put my you know my balls out there. I can't kind of take the risk. And that's why there is. That's why the films that come out of the Hollywood system are what they are. And occasionally you'll get some really interesting stuff, but that's not their business. Their business is to put out product that sells to the yep. masses, and that's the way the game is played. the The days of yep. the days of the experimental studio movie they're there, but they're rare. They're rare, few and far between. Would you agree? Yes. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a different business than it was even five years ago, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It's a completely different business. Um, the stakes are higher. The budgets are higher. The audiences are pickier. You know, they have to make such different decisions than they used to. You know, when there was a DVD market, you didn't have to get it completely right because you were still going to make another 60 million you know on dvds right and you know we made a lot of programmers at at my first job at sandstorm and they made a lot of money you know we did the sniper movies with tom berenger those that that franchise has made so much money so much money we did we did sniper two three and four you know and we but it's kept going it's kept going though they kept going we did we did not there they yeah. kept going but you know we did two three and four we did them for about five five and a half million dollars plus with the rebate that we got for shooting in you know thailand or budapest you know it's like four and a half million dollars um and they each grossed like 50 million dollars you mm-hmm. know on on dvd and you know package sets and stuff like that and so those days are gone and the days of of developing you know, it used to be when I started in development, it was like the 50% rule. If you could get a good idea, 50% there, we'll take it the other 50%. Now it's like you need it to be 90% done with a package before we're even going to read it and think about making it, you know, and, you know, somebody at Netflix already has to want it. <laughs> You know, it's with it with an LOI. <laughs> yes, I mean it is a completely different business now than it was ten years ago. Um, the upside is there's more ways to break in and more places to, in more platforms to get your stuff made and a wider array of stuff being made. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of the studio system, the downside is that the studio system all want exactly the same movie by exactly the same person. Um, for exactly the same budget, and right. and it is hard to crack into that system much more so than it even was, um, and I think because of Hollywood's attempt at rebranding itself mm-hmm. and diversifying itself and finding new voices and new talent and new things, execs are even more careful, a hundred times more careful than they were three years ago, you know, uh, they are looking for very specific things now. Whereas before it was like, look, just have a great idea and have a great script. And now it's, it's not just that, you know? Um, and so writers have to do their due diligence and not follow the trends cause it never pays yeah. to follow the trends. 
trends, but you have to know what the trends are so that you can try to get ahead of them. Um, you know, I, I said years ago um, that very soon there's going to be a major rom-com, a major LGBT rom-com that, you know, that hits. And that's going to be a new big thing, you know. And then Love, Simon came out. And that, I mean, there's a bunch of things, you know, in development right now that, that fits that bill, especially for Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's trying to find that next thing while knowing what what people want to read I, you know um, what I, I i've actually you know i i know a lot of screenwriters a lot of professional screenwriters and i've read some of their scripts some of their specs mm-hmm. and i and I, I sometimes i'll i'll get done reading it and i'm like why is it this made yeah like this is amazing like what like i see meryl streep in this i see you know i like i i mean it's just so good because i've read yeah. bad scripts i write bad i've written bad scripts so i've <laughs> read but i've also read bad scripts as well and when you read something of quality, it's just obviously they know the craft, they know the thing. Mm-hmm. They're you know they have credits of movies that you and I would, if I said out loud, you would go, oh that guy, and yeah. and they even have a star attached, mm-hmm. and it's still nope, it's insane. You know, I, I read just as much great stuff from writers who aren't getting produced as I read crappy stuff from writers who are getting produced. Um, and you know that just happens it it just happens it's a numbers game it's a referrals game it's a budget game there's a million reasons why good scripts don't get made and some bad projects you know get sold or or get made um it's almost it's not usually the writer's fault every once in a while but um that's that's just how it is i've had plenty of projects over the years that I was like, this is my no brainer. If this doesn't get made, I will eat my shoe. And, you know, and, you know, shoe. Shoe. Um, with a little, little A1 steak sauce on it. You, a little, little sriracha. A little sriracha. A little bit of ketchup. Yeah, it goes down <laughs> easy. And then there's other stuff. I was like, this is the worst piece of crap I've ever read. How is this getting, you know, how is this going in to every major studio with major producers attached? It's not good. Um, that's just something you have to accept and you can <laughs> yes. only do so much and write the best script for you, for your voice. That's going to help you get ahead and stop worrying about, you know, can this sell and just, you know, worry about, can this get me to that next place in my career that I'm looking to go to, right. you know, can this fill, um, you know, can this achieve for me my next goal instead of like, can this, can this win me the Oscar? Like, no, it's your first script. It's not winning you the Oscar. You know, just like try to get read by, you know, anyone, three people first. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then worry about your Oscar like 10 years from now. That's um, so ridiculous. I mean, people's I, egos, I, people's egos get, I mean, this, this town is so full of ego. It's yeah. not even funny. And we've, I mean, I've dealt with it. I've had, I, I still have one, but I try to keep it in check and I keep it relative. But there's some people who just, I've literally had filmmakers in my post suite tell me straight faced, I'll see you at the Oscars next year. Like <laughs> straight faced. Like not the Sun at Sundance, not mm-hmm. Tribeca, no Oscar. Like that's where this is going. And I'm like, wow. You know, I will say the tagline for my company is hate me today, love me in your acceptance speech. <laughs> I saw that. That's great. So, you know, it could happen. I'm waiting. I'm could waiting we, could we also win the lottery? Sure. 
Yeah, sure. Could, sure. It could happen. It could happen. Um, no problem. Now, I want to talk about something that writers and filmmakers as well, they all think that this is the magic thing that you need. An agent. The agent is, uh, your face just kind of, your eyes rolled back. For people not seeing this, his eyes rolled back. I think he lost consciousness for a second as I said that. But I, the agent, a, you already had a, a little mini stroke? Um, a little mini stroke. Because, because agents and managers, all I need is, a, I need, I need uh, Ari from Entourage. That's all I need. <laughs> I need Ari from Entourage. There is an Ari, actual Ari. Ari. Has, Ari has been fired in the Me Too movement, so you're screwed, <laughs> exactly. actually. Um, I know. Both both the real Ari and the actor, Jeremy <laughs> Bivens. Um, but yeah, we need a we need a Barracuda. We need a shark like that to be our agent. And that they're going to go out there and they're going to hustle and get my scripts read and get me the millions I deserve. Please, let's just talk about that. Let's let that out in the air. Please tell me your perspective. It is my least um, – it's the least favorite question I get from writers, right. which – because it's the number one question I get from writers is how do I get an agent? And for 90 percent of those writers, the answer is you don't. Um, you know, the agent will get you if you need an agent, but most writers don't. Uh, you know, unless you have three – at least three viable, sellable, pitchable commercial projects – an agent's not going to pick you up yet. Go for a manager um, if you really feel you need someone. But for those writers who only have one idea or, you know, they just have that – they don't want to be screenwriters as a profession or as a long-term career. They just have one great idea, one script they want to write, you know, one piece of legacy they want to leave because they think this is a great story. Don't waste your time with managers and agents and stuff like that. They have yeah. no use for you. Right. You know, just – Try to make your script as great as possible and then try to find a producer who will read it. And you have a very singular focus. And that's almost easier, a lot easier, than a writer who wants to do this as a long-term career. But if you want to do it as a long-term career, there are plenty of ways to find representation. But know when you're ready. And most writers, again, are submitting far too soon. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. If you don't have, you know, a dozen ideas that you're developing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you don't have at least two, if not three finished scripts, if you don't have, you know, uh, if you've never, Ever pitched before, if you've never networked before, if you know, if you've never done any of the homework and the research before, you're not ready for a manager yet. Mm-hmm. Um, keep working on your craft. Managers aren't going anywhere. You know, I mean, it's not like if you don't get them in 2019, you'll never get one. They're they're always gonna be there. Um, you have to wait until you're ready because you really do only get one shot most of the time. Um, but between contests and events and pitching and social media and consultants like myself who have good contacts with those reps um, and you know just friends and referrals or whatever, there's a million ways to find a manager. And they can be super helpful in your career. Um, but know when the right time is 
And as far as agents go, I don't want to badmouth agents. But you're going to badmouth agents. It's okay. (laughs) But you have to know what you're offering them. Right. You know, and and they don't – unlike a manager who's kind of there to guide your career and they're in it for the long haul and they're there to help you develop, an agent is there to close that deal and get you the best terms possible – and a great agent is there to make a great writer into a superstar. That's mm-hmm. what great agents do. If you're barely on your first project or you're on your second script and you're just trying to get read, you are like two to five years away from needing an agent. You know, And if you do need an agent, your manager will help you get that agent mm-hmm. because they have those relationships. Um, I always say look for a manager before you look for an agent. Um, you know, unless you have something really specific or you have something in development with uh, like a client of that agent, you know, if you got to an actor, which, by the way, is way better than going to an agent. Mm-hmm. Go if you if you're looking for an actor or you think, you know, the actor that's right for your project, don't go to their agent unless you have an offer, because the first words out of their mouth is, hey, that's great. What's the offer? And mm-hmm. so if you don't have financing, don't bother with the agent yet. Go to their production company where they have assistants and executives who are in charge of finding and reading scripts for their talent to produce. And there is no no better silver bullet in this industry than having a great actor attached to produce your project. Mm-hmm. It opens every door. So if you're thinking that, you know, Charlize Theron might be right for your project, don't go to her agent unless you have a $14 million offer to make her. Go to her Delilah, whatever it is, you know, films, you know, banner, call and get an assistant on the phone and tell them that you think this would be great for her to produce um, and get in that way. And then if she likes it and wants the role, great. If she doesn't, you know, she'll get another actress of great caliber to read it. That's way better than ever calling an agent. But that's on on the packaging side. If you're trying to get an agent yourself, go for a manager first. Have a portfolio of work that is commercial and sellable and ready to go. Mm -hmm. Um, And know exactly who you are as a writer and who you want to be, which is something I work on with my clients and my mentees constantly because – Today, unlike 10 years ago, where you had to decide, like, were you a TV writer or were you a film writer? Mm -hmm. And today, everybody wants both. Like, you have to be both or want to do both. But you also have to know your voice. And you also have to know what kind of writer you are and how you're going to be sold for the next two or three years. And I know everyone's like, I don't want to be pigeonholed. I don't want to get into a box. You'd be lucky to get into a box. Yeah. Friggin... Pray for that box. Jump into that box with both feet like like my cat does and just love that box because that box is making you money. That box is getting you scripts. That box is giving you a career that you're going to be able to jump out of that box and make an even bigger career two years from now. So get real nice and cozy in that box for two years and stop effing complaining that you're being put into a box. You're you're being put into the studio system. That's what you're being put into. It's it's insane when I hear that. I'm like, I don't want to be boxed. I'm like, you you would be so blessed and lucky if you could be 
boxed in. I know what I know. I used to, uh, my, one of my good friends was uh, Wes Craven's assistant, um, okay. years ago. And he would tell me stories of how upset Wes was about, man, I'm stuck in this horror box. I can't do anything. And do you remember that there was a movie called, um, music of the heart? Yeah. With, the, Mer- with uh, Meryl, Meryl Streep, Streep and, uh, Gloria, and, sure. and Gloria Estefan. That yep. was a Wes Craven directed film. Absolutely was. And you know why he got that? Because they wanted Scream 2. <laughs> That's nice. the only reason he got that it. That makes sense. He wanted Scream 2. He's like, you want Scream 2? Give me uh, – it was called 500 Violins originally and then, then it That's changed right. to Music of the Heart. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like – but look at that. Wes Craven had one of the greatest horror directing careers in the history yeah. of cinema. Honestly, he's, his name is, is up there. But he was unhappy about being in the box. Look, I get it. I mean, you don't want to be in that box forever. Yeah. You know? So don't be too good is what you're saying. Don't be too good in that box. Like if you're really good, then you're stuck there. But just be good enough to get in a box and then you can chop out. (laughs) Right. But that's the conversation to have with your rep saying, look, I love doing horror. And that first script that got you a rep and got you 40 meetings around town was a horror script. So that's the, the next two projects you're going to do are horror projects. But if you tell your rep up front, like, hey, I love doing the genre stuff, but I also want to do comedy. And I also want to do an action movie. Then their job is to find that project, you know, to develop with you or for you to develop that is going to make that transition for you so that you're going from horror to horror comedy to comedy, you know, or horror, horror action to action comedy to whatever. And so that they have a plan for your career and, I always tell, you know, when when writers are trying to find their voice, find their box, but not get too stuck, um, I always tell my writers to look at the subgenres that you're writing to try and find a through line that is your voice, because it's not usually in that major genre, that first genre. But if you come to me and you say, look, I have an action comedy, a horror comedy, and a romantic comedy, I was like, okay, well, you've got a through line there that tells me what your voice is. You're just bringing that voice to different genres, but now we know what your voice, you know, what you want to do, what that connective tissue is, so that we can sell you as a type of writer, even though you're doing different genres, we know what your voice is bringing to that genre. And that's how you break out of that box is by using those subgenres and secondary genres to bring out who you are uh, as a writer instead of just, you know, the genre of the premise you happen to come up with. That's, all. that's all. awesome advice. Actually, it's really great, great advice. And I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all of my guests. What advice would you give a screenwriter trying to break into the business today? <laughs> There's the funny answer. Run, run, just run. Yeah, <laughs> we both um, went to the same place. <laughs> run, forest. Um, the, you know, the the real answer. Um, there, there's two real answers I'll give, and one is a mistake that I made for many years in my career was, I thought I was going to be an Emmy-winning writer. 
And so for the first few years and before I was even in the business, I didn't pay attention to the other stuff. I didn't think I had to know about financing or distribution right. or, you know, or, uh, or casting. Well, I loved casting, but, uh, you know, there were other things, the business side of it that I didn't think I needed to know because I was just going to be writing talent, you know, and that's, and that's it. I didn't know about the development process until, you know, I, I was interning and started doing coverage and, you know, and then as an assistant, you know, doing scripts, I didn't know about networking. Like I just didn't know other stuff because I was so focused on my little corner of the world. And if you are a writer today, you have to multi-hyphenate yourself. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. If you're a filmmaker today, you have to multi-hyphenate yourself. If you're an actor today, you have to multi-hyphenate yourself. So you need to do, you need to treat it like a business and do the work and do the reading and be knowledgeable on way more than just your little corner of the office. Um, that's, that's one thing is have a bigger scope in terms of the information you're taking in. So you really understand the business you're getting into from all sides. Um, the second thing is write while you can, because it's not going to get easier as you get older. <laughs> um, I wish when I, you know, looking back when I was 24 and I had time, you oh, know, God, time, remember those days, <laughs> but I didn't, but I didn't write, you know, because there was, I don't know, there was probably some party I was invited to, you know, and, and you're like, ah, oh, I had so much energy at 24. What the hell did I waste that for? Um, if you are if you are young enough, try to break in from the inside. Come to Los Angeles, get a job in the industry, break in from the inside. It will cut years out of your journey. If you can't do that, um, then at least get out of your box, wherever that box is. If you are, you know, in the middle of Oklahoma and you are writing alone, find a group, find a conference, find people, go online, social media, use it to your advantage. Um, you know, know when this business is a marathon and when it's a sprint, know when to ask for help. Um, find a Find a consultant or a mentor or a person that can help you. You know, there are no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. None. Um, and I, I wish I learned that earlier. I, I wish I learned that nobody owes you Jack mm -hmm. S. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it took me a little while to to learn that. I mean, look, I'm, I'm from Long Island. I mean, I've been working since I'm 14. I worked my ass off in, in college and, yeah, and yeah. Every day since I'm 15, 14, 15 years old. But, um, you know, now they, now they call it white privilege. Back then we were just assholes. Um, <laughs> you, know, you feel like somebody owes you a little something just for getting through college, just for doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing. You're like, where is my agent in my million dollar career? Where's my Emmy at 30? Like I saw 30 year old Emmy winners. Where's my Emmy? Um, <laughs> and you realize nobody owes you anything and Amen. you need to keep working your ass off no matter how hard you worked on that first script 
keep working on the second and the third and, and the fourth. Absolutely. Um, now, you can, know, can the, you yeah. uh, can you tell me what book had the biggest impact in your life or career? Like what screenwriting book or what any book book book? book, book. <sighs> That's a good one. Um, screenwriting book works as well. I mean, I don't know that I loved. There were screen. Okay, <laughs> this is the uh, probably the opposite version of what the answer you're looking for is. But there were screenwriting books that I read as an executive, um, and and starting out that I disagreed with so vehemently that I had to write my own and start teaching classes because I was like, if people are reading this shit, they're going to have the wrong impression of what executives really want. Mm -hmm. And so I need to write my own book, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and do my own thing to, you know, to tell them how it really is, you know, and tell them other, uh, the other side of it. And so I won't, I won't name what, what books, but there are books on pitching and 60 second pitching and things like that, that you might be able to figure out that I just really disagreed with, um, you know, at the time, 10, 10 plus years ago, um, that inspired me to write my own articles and my own books and, and do the consulting and, and, you know, bring something else that wasn't out there uh, to writers. Um, in terms of like great literature, uh, um, 1984 was always a huge oh, great book. favorite of mine. It's it's the one I remember in ninth or tenth grade reading and picturing as a movie, and me saying in my head, "I really want to make the movie version of this one day." Um, and so I, I, you know, that was that was one that always uh, stuck with me. And, and now we're living it. <laughs> <laughs> We laugh because we're we're dying inside. Yes. Um, we now, laugh because crying makes us sad. Um, um, now, what is but, the what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? Uh, I think, like, like I said, nobody owes you anything, um, and you're gonna make mistakes. Um, I, I'm I'm working on a new book and book proposal n- now about those mistakes who knows if it'll ever get done but um <laughs> spoken like a true writer <laughs> yeah exactly um you know a uh, you know i hate to say it but like passion isn't enough but no. if you don't have it you'll never make it right um you know that's great you know, like, like if you don't absolutely love this industry and what it does and what, you know, and what you can get to do in it, Mm -hmm. then get out because it's awful. Otherwise, like it is, it has its moments. Don't get me wrong. It is, it's fun and and stuff, but it's hard. I mean, if I knew then what I knew now or stuff, you know, would I make different, I'd make a lot of different decisions, (laughs) Uh, but if you don't absolutely love it, if you don't feel like you are trained for nothing else, I, I have no other viable workplace skills. I can't do math. I, I'm not great at history, <laughs> but I, there, there's very little else I can do. You've doubled but down. Maybe You've advertising. Doubled down. You've doubled down. You've yeah, doubled down. Like you're, you're in it until until it's over, you know. Um, but but that like passion is great, but it's not enough. Um, but if you don't have the passion and you don't love it, 
get out because it will eat you alive and make you and and make you a worse person instead I, of making you a better person. I always what I, whenever I speak, I always say this to people in the room. I'm like, everybody here knows an angry filmmaker or a bitter filmmaker. Everybody here knows an angry screenwriter or a bitter screenwriter. And if you don't know one, you are the angry bitter screenwriter. You are the angry bitter filmmaker. You know, and we all go. But if if you haven't been bitter for a day, you know, oh, you yeah. probably haven't been in this business long enough. Amen. You know? No, no, there's no truth. I mean, no look, I, I get dinged. I used to get dinged all the time for being cynical and, you know, a little bit more of a, of a pessimist. And I, I try to balance it out. But, you know, um, you are what you are. But you got to you got to look on you got to try to look on the bright side of things. And the hard part about Hollywood is that the carrot is always right. Oh, here, yes. That you know, carrot. and some. Sometimes it's right here and sometimes it's right here and you're just constantly following that carrot because every once in a while it just gets so close and yeah, you know, and that just drives you crazy. But, but you keep going because as as long as there's a carrot in front of you, you just got to keep following it. But that is the dangerous part of this business is you always feel like there's a carrot there. Isn't that carrot so... Well, anyway, um, three of your favorite. And someone to help you, help you reach that carrot. Oh, and then you can't do it alone. Right. Um, that, that networking and friends in this business is important. And I made a horrible mistake. And I talk about this pretty openly in, in my classes. Like, you know, when I was starting out, I separated. I had a lot of friends from school that came out here. We were all, you know, uh, TV film students. Um but they were my friends, and then here were my business people. Mm-hmm. You know, here were my business acquaintances or my colleagues, or the word that I like to use, affrendances. Oh, that's um, a great word. Yeah, that's mine. I'm coining, coining yeah, that. Trademark, trademark, um, affrendances. But I never – it was quite a few years until I really started to realize that you have to make those affrendances and colleagues friends. Yes. Because if you don't, you're always going to be on the outside a little bit. And, and we all feel like we're still on the I feel like that every single day of my life. And, and most people do. I know people who are very much on the inside who still feel like they're on the outside. Um, but make friends and treat people like they could be friends and not just colleagues that can get you something. Yes. Or – or someone you can do something for, or some sort of favor system. Because even though Hollywood does work on a favor system a lot of the time. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. It doesn't feel like a favor when it's with your friends. And so, you know, networking is great. And everybody talks about networking. But And I was okay at networking when I was younger. I hate it now, but I was okay at it when I was younger. But what I wasn't good at was turning those networking moments into friendships. Fair enough. That's great advice. Everyone try to do that, especially as they're coming up because the people you come up with are who you're going to be in this business with for 20, 30 years. Now, three of your favorite films of all time. I knew that you asked people this, and I – I tried to I, – I 
I came up with so many things of what you could ask me, writer influences that I love and like, uh, you know, uh, underrated scripts and top three of all. I've been trying to figure it out. Um, and of course they do change, you know, everybody's sure, favorite movies change. Sure. Um, the ones I always tend to go back to are a few good men, Great American beauty. Um, and, uh, and, a, and a comedy that I think is so underrated, but every time I say it, I wouldn't say it's my favorite movie of all time, but the original uh, A Death at a Funeral oh, yeah. is such, uh, written by Dean Craig, it's a British one, not the Chris Rock one, mm-hmm. the, the original one, uh, with Alan Tudyk and, and, um, uh, and a wonderful cast of characters, is such an insanely hilarious, underrated comedy. Um, that when I read it as a script, I had to call the agent and just be like, can I meet with him? This is the funniest thing I've ever read. Um, I don't, I don't think I ever actually did get that meeting, but, um, but I love the movie. You know, my cousin Vinny is up there too. I love cousin Vinny. Uh, in terms of comedy, you know, I can watch Heat, you know, all day. all day long, uh, the nice guys and sort of like newer movies that I think should be classics. Uh, Shane Black's The Nice Guys um, is is right up there. Um, all good titles, sir. All good titles. Yeah, now, where I'll, can I'll put all those in my hopper. Now, where can people find you and can you list off the books you've written and, and what you offer and all that kind of stuff and where they can find you? Yeah, uh, um, people can find me on my website, which is nobullscript.net. Um, if you do .com, it'll take you there too. But uh, nobullscript.net. I was, was going to say, is there another nobullscript that we're not you know, aware of? No. Funny enough, it was taken, you know, not 10 years ago. This this year, 2019, this May is my 10-year anniversary. Congrats. Uh, running this company. I don't know how that happened, but mm-hmm. it happened. Um uh, when I started the company, my hair was here. <laughs> um, and, uh, um, and so at the time when I got it, somebody, uh, another consultant friend of mine, who I didn't know at the time, owned noblescript.com. And there was nothing there, but they owned it. Now I own it. Um, but uh, yeah, noblescript.net. You can find me on Twitter at Danny Manis. Um, I, uh, I put tons of screenwriting stuff and other comedy news ranting you know things uh I'm and, making, and then you get and you offer a mentorship and you also offer us um consulting yes uh absolutely on noble script you can find all my consulting um services and packages from i mean i really work soup to nuts from concept and brainstorming through all the different drafts to polishing and rewriting query letters pitch help um it really is pre-managing I like to call it pre-managing because I help my writers figure out what they should write, help them develop it and write it. And if it's great and it's ready and it gets a recommend, I try to get it out there, um, you know, to my context who I think will respond. And a year ago, I started this mentor service. Uh, I only take 15 writers at a time uh, or somewhere around there. And it's a five-month mentor service. It's much more in-depth. We do calls every two weeks, um, so you're getting lots of notes calls. We're going through your ideas. We're developing them. And instead of just you know paying for one set of notes and then you know maybe you come back for a second set, which is great, um, this allows us to go through the process of however many drafts it takes to get it really polished and set so by the end of the you know five months, you've got at least one, if not two, scripts that are really ready to go. And 
and it includes career, you know, coaching and pitch coaching, query letters. It's very all-inclusive. Um, I'm about to start my third cycle of that uh, mm -hmm. now for the spring. I still have slots, still have a handful of slots open, uh, and I'm always, always looking for more because I, I actually really enjoy being able to mentor writers. It's not for first-time writers. Mm -hmm. I should say that. This is not for first-time writers writing their first script. This is for writers who have written a couple things and really want to take their, you know, their career and their scripts and their next projects to the next level. Um, but you can reach out. It's on my website or through Twitter. You could email me uh, always at daniel at nobullscript.net. Uh, you can email me and, uh, and I'm happy to help. And my book, uh, No. BS for screenwriters, advice from the executive perspective. Um, it used to be, it's still on the writer store website, but now that the writer store doesn't exist anymore. Is um, it gone, gone? Um, it's gone. It's gone, gone. Um, like, I, 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 know, I know it's gone in Burbank, but uh, like, is it gone on the website too? No, the website's still there. Okay. Website's still there. They do still, uh, you know, sell some webinars and books and things. And, I, and you can still get my book on there. Um, you can also uh, email me for an e-version. They have a hard copy version. Um, I do have an e-version um, that uh, that you can always get from me. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, and I'm always looking for new groups and conferences out there. So if you're listening, and I know there are a ton of great people listening to this, you know, this podcast, if you've got a, a conference or a film festival or a panel and – you want someone to, you know, bring the fun, bring the spice, bring the spice, um, be whatever spice girl you need for your panel. Um, Remember that whole desperation thing we were talking about? It's starting to come off. <laughs> can you smell that now? I can smell yeah, it. It's a good quaff. I can smell it in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Thank you for dropping some great knowledge bombs on the tribe today, man. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. I want to thank Danny so much for coming by and dropping some major knowledge bombs on the tribe today. It is always nice to have the executive's perspective when you're pitching to executives. So if you want to get links to anything we talked about in this episode, including contact information for Danny, his book, and so on, head over to IndieFilmMuscle.com forward slash 663. And if you haven't already, please head over to FilmmakingPodcast.com subscribe and leave a good review for the show. It really helps us out a lot, guys. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.